If you have a copy of God's word, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 8. Uh, Mark chapter 8. Uh, go ahead and meet me there. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, um, we want to give you one. Um, and so after the service is over, head to the lobby. We have many Bibles there. We'd love to give you a copy of God's word. If you don't know where Mark 8 is, no shame in using the tables of contents here. Um, go ahead and turn there. And so you've heard it multiple times through the service, but I, I simply want to say uh, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers in the room. Listen, I know that motherhood isn't easy, right? Um, and, and I know that motherhood is not, it, it, it can be difficult sometimes. And not only do we want to acknowledge you, but we want, to, we want to show you our commitment to pray for you as you attempt to raise your children. And so your labor, hear me, your labor is not in vain. But let me tell you today that I know in the room that many of us have different, many different experiences of today. Uh, some of you are mothers and it's an awarding season for you. And some of you are mothers and you're reminded on Mother's Day that it's not an easy season. For many of you, it's a hard time and you might feel alone in it. And I want to push that out. Related to that, all of us have mothers. And I know for many of us, you're able to call your mother or talk to your mother today and tell them Happy Mother's Day. And for some of you, you can't do that right now. And I'll keep going with that. For some of you, you have great relationships and fond memories of mom. And some of you, you don't. Along with that, many of us have different relationships, not maybe to our mothers, but to motherhood in general. When I look even across our congregation, there's infertility represented and loss, so even lack of marriage opportunity all makes it difficult for us to celebrate mothershood, motherhood with the same intensity today. But I do want to give everyone in the room some encouragement. Here it is. You may not be able to celebrate Mother's Day with as equal intensity as the neighbor beside you, and that's okay. But I want you to know that however today lands on you, the God of heaven celebrates you today with loud intensity. Uh, Zephaniah 3.17 says that God rejoices over each of us with loud singing. He rejoices over mothers today, but he also rejoices over everyone today, including those who, to whom today is hard. And so listen, I know that I know today our culture rightly and appropriately celebrates motherhood, but I do want you to know this, the God of heaven celebrates all of his children today. He sings over all of his children with loud singing. He doesn't celebrate you simply because you birthed sons and daughters, but he celebrates you today because you are a son and daughter, right? And so be encouraged today. And so with that said, I, I wanna read a text for you this morning, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump into it, all right? And so Mark 8, I'm gonna start at verse 11, and we're gonna head on down to verse 21. Mark 8, verse 11 through 21, here we go. It says, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him, namely Jesus. And he deeply sighed in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to the generation. And he left them, got into the boat, and went to the other side. Now they have forgotten to bring bread. They had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? 
And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And this is the word of the Lord. Now let me take a moment to pray for us and let's dive into the text this morning. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we trust you with all that we have and we sit underneath your word, not as critics, but as students. We sit under your word with rapt attention, eager and ready to hear from you and eager and ready to respond to your word in faith and obedience. Will you help us do that today? Will you help us to listen? Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Help us to respond in the way that you desire to. Your word is open, therefore your mouth is open. Your very words are being spoken to us this morning. So help us to pay attention. We love you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen. 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 All right. So um, many of us have heard of the Flint uh, water crisis. And so it was at its high peak around 2014 through 2016. There were very high levels of lead um, in the town of, uh, of Flint in the water supply. But for many of us, we don't know, we should know that before the, the Flint water crisis, there was the D.C. water crisis. And many experts point to that water crisis and they say that that water crisis was actually worse than Flint. The lead poisoning was deeper. It went more on widespread than even that crisis. And the issue was something that was very small and imperceptible. It's one of those things, if you were, doing, if you were here in D.C. during that water crisis, if you poured water from the tap into your cup, you couldn't see the issue, but it was there. Eventually, the problem was identified. The city had previously introduced a different chemical called chloramine into the water treatment process. And apparently, that, that, that ingredient, that chemical caused a chemical reaction and it caused the lead in all the pipes in D.C. to release the lead that was already in them. And it released the lead into the nation's, nation's capital's water supply, leading it to make it many people sick. Many people got sick and even passed away because there was lead in the water. Something so harm and so imperceptible, chloramine, caused this crisis that affected the health of so many. I say that today to say this. In this text, Jesus warns his disciples about something very small and imperceptible. Just like small and imperceptible things can have a harmful effect on our physical health, there are actually as well harmful and imperceptible things that can have a harmful effect on our spiritual health as well. In other words, these small and imperceptible things can have a harmful effect on our faith. So I want to spend some time in this text talking about what exactly, um, what exactly do I mean by that? And to that end, I want to focus really quickly on verse 15. Verse 15 in this text, Jesus issues a warning to his disciples. Look at verse 15. It says, and he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Let me give you some context to that quote because I want you to understand it. Let's backtrack. Last week's sermon, we focused on the feeding of the 4,000 if, if you were here. Jesus fed 4,000 people with a snack plate. Like pretty much he fed them with bread and some fish. He fed a whole bunch of hungry people. But hear me today, it was deeper than that. You see, in the Gospels, miracles were often labeled as signs. When you look at the Gospel of John, it often called miracles signs. 
Signs, if you don't know, signify or point to a deeper reality. So the question that we should ask is, in the feeding of the 4,000, what exactly does that miracle point to? Well, I'm glad you asked. That miracle points to the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. That miracle points to the fact that just like bread can fill an empty gut, the presence of Jesus can fill an empty soul. How many of you guys know that this morning? That the presence of Jesus can fill an empty soul. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you were like me. Many of you, you were out here. You were trying to find peace and fulfillment all over. You were always trying to find it in the next thing, in the next vacation, or the next job promotion, or the next, or, or the next activity, or the next experience. You were trying to find it, and you can never get it. Satisfaction always proved itself to be around the bend. And then you know that Jesus showed up in your life. He's what your heart has been looking for all along. And if you don't know that today, I really hope that you do. I hope you'll get to know that, that Jesus satisfies the hungry soul. And in this miracle, we see that not only is Jesus the bread of life who fills the longing soul, we see that there are seven baskets left over during that miracle, showing us that Jesus is more than enough. There's more than enough Jesus to go around. I don't know if you're like me. I don't know if you've ever been to a cookout, right? And the food was smelling good. You were hungry. You were at the back of the line. I don't know if this ever happened to you, that the food is smelling so good, and you're waiting for the food, and you get to the front, and the food ran out. Man, let me tell you today, there is nothing that will make a grown man cry quicker (laughs) than that. But someone in this room feel like, if you're looking at me, and you're looking at at this miracle, you feel like you're at the back of the line. You're looking at me and you're thinking, Eric, listen, you don't know me. I've done some wild stuff. I feel like when it comes to Jesus, I'm at the back of the line. How do I know that there's enough of his love and grace for me too? Well, look at those seven baskets. Look at all that bread left over. If this miracle is pointing to the fact that Jesus is the bread of life, the leftover bread points to the fact that there's enough Jesus for you too. There is. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus is willing to be the bread of life for you. Will you take him? That leads us to the passage today because even despite that beautiful author, there are still people who reject it. Look at verse 11. Verse 11, it says, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking a sign, uh, uh, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. They're seeking a sign from heaven. And I'm looking at the Pharisees, and I'm thinking, where do you think the other signs came from? He has fed 4,000 people with the Lunchable. He just did all this stuff. He caused the blind to see. He caused the, he caused the dead to raise. He, caused, he called out demons out of people. What do you think his signs, the previous signs, came for, from? And I think there's another passage in the Bible that tells us, Matthew 9. In Matthew 9, Jesus calls out a demon from somebody who's demon-possessed. And the Pharisees, they're salty, they're upset, and they interpret Jesus' miracle. They try to explain it this way. It says in Matthew 9, I believe in verse 34, it says, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Listen, they didn't deny that Jesus could perform signs. They denied where his signs came from. And this illustrates a point that we all need to know. Hear me today. Those who approach Jesus with a a hard heart and a closed mind 
for them no sign will ever do. For those who approach Jesus with a closed mind and a hard heart, no sign will ever be enough. And so Jesus understands this. He leaves them. He gets on a boat with his disciples. And it's clear that he's still thinking about that conversation when he's with his disciples. Here's my question for you. Have you ever had a conversation that bothered you so much that you were thinking about that conversation long after it was over? I've been there. There's been times in which I've had hard conversations at like 8 o'clock in the morning, and I'm, thinking, I'm still thinking about it over dinner um, that night. And it seems like that's happening to Jesus. Jesus is still thinking about that conversation with the Pharisees, and he uses that conversation as the, as the drive to warn his disciples of something. And that leads us back to verse 15 yet again. Verse 15, it says, And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What does that mean? Well, here's the thing. The scriptures talk about leaven in a number of different places. And leaven was an easy analogy for everybody to get during that time because bread was a main staple of their diet, right? And so people knew what leaven was. That, this example of, is it, is it really accessible to 20, 20, 22 people unless you're one of those Arlington types who actually make your own bread? Uh, but let, let, let me explain to you. Leaven or yeast is an agent that when you add to bread, it makes it rise. You only need a little bit to make it happen. It's a small and imperceptible thing that when it spreads, it has a huge influence. And here, Jesus warns his disciples of a particular type of leaven, a particular type of thing that can spread and have an outsized influence. He says here, he says, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. See, that could be a bit confusing about what Jesus means because the Pharisees and Herod didn't have much in common. The Pharisees were overtly religious and Herod wasn't. They didn't seem to have a lot in common but let's talk about a few things that they did have in common. For one, they were probably the two figures who were most responsible for the cultural climate of that area at the time. You see, Herod influenced that area culturally from a seat of power. The Pharisees influenced the nation not just religiously, but culturally. Let me explain to you. Back in that day, with little Jewish kids, they didn't have cultural icons during that day. They didn't have sports heroes. Like the little Jewish kids, they didn't have posters of LeBron James on the wall. They didn't have Beyonce on the wall. You know who they had? You know who they looked up to for who they wanted to be? And they said, that's who I want to be when I grow up? They had the Pharisees. The Pharisees had cultural pull, cultural cachet. They had widespread, both Herod and the Pharisees, widespread cultural influence. But unfortunately, as you can tell from Jesus' previous interaction, the influence wasn't good. What both of them had in common wasn't just the fact that they had widespread cultural influence. What Herod and the Pharisees also had in common is that both of them had hard hearts. They did not believe. They were entrenched in their unbelief. And what Jesus is warning his disciples against, when we talk about what the leaven is, here's what the leaven is. The leaven is the kind of cultural influence that will, produce, that, 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 that will produce unbelief and erode faith. What's leaven in this passage? Leaven is the cultural influence that will produce, as you give yourself to it, unbelief and erode your faith. Let me be clear. 
all culture isn't bad. Like, think about the water crisis in D.C. Go back to that analogy that I gave earlier. All chemicals in water isn't, isn't bad. Like, we have fluoride in water, and that's actually a good thing for your teeth. But when it comes to chemicals in water, it's not, about, it's, it's not about whether or not you have chemicals in water. It's about what kind of chemicals you have in it. When it comes to leaven, leaven in bread isn't bad. It's the kind of leaven that makes it bad. And I'll bring it home to us. Hear me today. We may not have the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod to worry about today, but we too live in a culture that can influence us in ways that produce unbelief and erode faith in seemingly small and imperceptible ways. It seems like a bit like carbon dioxide a bit. I don't know if you know about carbon dioxide, but it's an odorless and invisible gas. It's imperceptible, but the way that you understand that you've breathed too much of it in is when it starts to become toxic, right? And when it starts to become toxic, you know that there's problems because you start to see the symptoms. And when we look around here today and we see how our, uh, we look around and we see our culture, it is very clear that we can, see, we can see the effects, the harmful effects that our culture has produced, and we can see some of the toxic effects that it's had on even our own spiritual health. We can see the symptoms. Let, let me explain. We can see how the angst of 24-hour news has produced hopelessness in us rather than hope in a sovereign God who's in control of all things. We see how social media has produced envy and dissatisfaction with our lives instead of trusting in the goodness of God through constant comparison and seeing what people have. We see how partisanship can make us suspicious towards our neighbors rather than lovers of our neighbors. And here, I'm not trying to be, um, I'm, I'm, not, 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 I'm not trying to be negative. And I'm not saying that trying to say that 24-hour news or social media or politics is inherently bad. I'm not trying to tell you to completely avoid them. However, hear me today, most culture, most culture and cultural artifacts are like a knife. Is a knife good or bad? Well, we don't know. It depends on whose hands it is. If a knife is in the hands of a skilled surgeon, it's an amazing thing. But a knife in the hand, hands of an enraged person, it's not a great thing. And the fact of the matter is that culture in the hands of human beings marred by sin, it never ends good. We live in culture, and here today, when we are critically, when we uncritically partake in it, the more it will have a harmful effect on our faith and our witness. The more we uncritically partake in culture, the more the leaven, so to speak, spreads. So the question we should have today is, what do we do about that? So I think the text actually tells us, it actually helps us, and I'm gonna give you a couple of things before I sit down today. In order for us to beware of the leaven, like Jesus said in our culture, here's something that we have to do. We have to understand that the words of Jesus enables us to see our culture. The words of Jesus enable us to see our culture. Eric, what do you mean by that? Here's what's amazing about verse 15. Jesus tells his disciples to beware or to watch out for the leaven or to beware and watch out for the cultural influence of Herod and the Pharisees. And in doing so, he likely calls attention to something that the disciples never even saw. Let me go back to the D.C. water crisis real quick. We saw the symptoms, but nobody knew where, where the problem was coming from. 
Because the issue is this, we all need water to survive and we couldn't see the issue because we were drinking this water and we couldn't see it until an expert came along and said, beware of the water. Here's the thing, the experts didn't come to the people in DC and say, stop drinking water. You actually need water to survive. You can't do that. However, the experts brought awareness that there were harmful things in the water and that you need to understand that and live accordingly to it. The same here, hear me today, when it comes to culture, newsflash, you can't opt out of culture. You can't opt out of it. Here's a simple definition of culture. Culture is what human beings make of the world. It's what make of the world. You're sitting in culture right now. Human beings have made this. We drive culture around. Like we're in culture. We can't divorce ourselves uh, from it. To live is to live in culture. However, because sin has entered into our world and sinful human beings create things and spread culture, hear me today, we can't implicitly trust that our culture is healthy. And Jesus warns us of that. He says, beware. And listen, here's the thing. He has to warn us because without him warning us, we can't see it. I'll give you an analogy. David Foster Wallace, uh, he was an author. Uh, he, he was a literary crit critic, and he was speaking at a commencement address at, at a college called Kenyon College back in 2005. And the title of his address was titled, This is Water. And he opened it with a short story. Here's a short story. He said, there are these two young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, morning, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a little bit, and then eventually one looks, uh, looks over at the other one and goes, what is water? I hope you get that. Those young fish were unable to see the water and critique the water. They're unable to answer how is the water because they can't see it. They've been living in it for so long that they can't see it objectively. But here's the problem with that analogy. Hear me today. How does the older fish know that he's in water too? He's been swimming in it as long as the other, the, the, the other fish were swimming in it. He's in it too. Here's the thing. The analogy breaks down because actually what you need is somebody who's objective. Somebody who's outside of it, who's able to communicate to the fish in it. And praise God, that's what we have. We have a God in heaven who exists beyond us, who's revealed himself to us. We have a God who's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We have a God who's a good shepherd, who's able to lead us and to guide us. He speaks to us and he shows us how to live. And one of the things that he does is that he warns us. He warns us of the harmful effects of sin, not to kill our joy, but to give us joy. This is what he does. As a matter of fact, it's even better than that. The God outside of this culture and outside of this world actually enters our world through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus came and he laid down his life for us. And hear me today, if Jesus came to die for you, hear me today, you can trust his words to you. And in this text, he says, beware. He says, beware. And that means that instead of uncritically receiving culture, Here's the question we all need to have. Will we trust Jesus' words to beware of how our culture can affect our faith? Will we allow his words not, not to make us avoiders of culture? We should be in this world and not of this world. But will we allow his words to beware to make us vigilant in the culture? 
We allow his word to change our posture towards the culture. Let me explain. My dad, when he was young, he taught me how to box, right? And so he would teach me how to box, and uh, he was constantly fisting my posture because I had the bad habit, you never want to do this. If you're boxing somebody, you don't want to drop your hands, right? Because when you drop your hands, you might get knocked out, right? And so my dad constantly, man, when me and my brother, we would, we would box, we would play, it wasn't nothing serious. But my dad would constantly yell at me to keep my hands up. And his voice helped me to have the appropriate posture to the environment that I was in. I'm in here dropping my hands like I'm on the couch, and dad is telling me, hey, hold up your hands, you're in a fight. Right? And fixing my posture, he was guarding my face. But here's the thing. Jesus says beware in this text. And so to speak, Jesus is fixing your posture towards the culture. He's helping you remember where you are. He's helping us not simply to guard our faith, um, guard our face. He's helping us to guard our faith. He's helping us to guard against toxic influence that we can breathe in, that we can eat and consume. They can have a harmful effect on our faith. Listen, hear me today. You can even write this down. If we don't trust Jesus' words to shape our posture to the culture, the culture will shape our posture towards Jesus. Jesus' words actually allow us to see that we live in culture. We're able to see it like a fish in water. But here's the thing. It's not enough to simply see that you are in culture. There's also something else we need to do about that, and that leads me to my next point. Not only do the words of Jesus allow us to see culture, here's the thing. The work of Jesus enables us to faithfully live in our culture. Faithfully live in our culture. So I said before, Jesus warns us about the harmful influences of uh, of the culture around us. What's the solution? How do we faithfully live in the culture that we find ourselves in? We can't avoid culture. He doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to be salt and light in culture. So how do we be faithful in culture? Well, I want you to do this. Look at verse 16. The answer to all of that is this. We filter everything through the work of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 16. Jesus has straight up just, straight, uh, just asked them, hey, like, like he, straight up, he straight up says here in verse 15, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and leaven of Herod, and look at their response. It says, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? And pretty much he just goes in on them. Check this out. Jesus warns them about the leaven or the unbelieving cultural influence of the Pharisees and Herod, and they misunderstand him. Why did they misunderstand him? They had the wrong filter. They had the wrong filter. Eric, what, what, what are you talking about? When I look at this text, it seems like an honest mistake. Like, Jesus said leaven. Leaven is related to bread. So, like, what was the big deal that they said that they had no bread? Here's why. Jesus had just fed 4,000 hungry people. He wasn't going to let them go hungry. And the fact that they thought that reveals this, that they were not filtering Jesus' question through his previous work. They were not filtering Jesus' question through his previous work. Let me give an analogy. Does anyone remember the show, um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Anybody remember that show? Am I too old? Okay. Well, I, I love the show because I love trivia games. 
And it's a show where the host asks a series of difficult questions, and you keep answering them, and the goal is for you to win a million dollars, right? And you can get help. And one of the helps that you can get in that game is phone a friend, right? And so if you're stuck, you can phone a smart friend, and that friend will help you get paid, right? And so I always make sure, listen, if I was in a game, I'm going to have smart people on speed dial so we can split the money. And so, okay, keep that analogy. In this text, Jesus says, watch out for the leaven. The disciples get confused. They all have the same question. What does that mean? They gather together. Check this out. They actually get to phone 11 other friends. And the best answer that they could come up with is this. He means that we don't, he means that we don't have bread. And here's the issue with that. If someone only simply remembered and said, hey, guys, yo, that might not be the answer. Because listen, Jesus just fed 4,000 people. He fed them with a snack. I know you're thinking he's talking about the fact that we don't have bread, but that can't be the answer because he just fed 4,000 people. He's not going to let us go hungry. Listen, if somebody simply did that, they would have been spared from the embarrassment here. But no one did it, and here's why. And I'm going somewhere with this. Hang with me. They were not processing Jesus' question through the filter of his previous work. When the possibility that Jesus could have, referred to, could have referred to the fact that they had no bread popped up, no one thought that, y'all, Jesus is powerful enough and able to provide. Let's take that possibility off the table. And let me bring this home to you. You know how to keep your faith in a culture of unbelief? Here's how you do it. We must sift everything, through, including the culture, through the filter of the work of Jesus Christ. We must sift everything, including the culture, through the filter of the work of Jesus Christ. I talked about the, 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 the water crisis earlier, and one of the things that helps purify water is when water goes through a filter. And here's the beautiful thing. We don't necessarily look back at the feet of the 4,000 and filter everything through that one. There's a greater work. There's a greater sign. There's a greater miracle that we filter everything through. We filter everything through Jesus' work at the cross of Calvary. Here's the beautiful thing about the cross of Calvary. On the cross, we see the greatest miracle ever. And here's the thing. Jesus did that for us. Jesus, the Son of God, without sin, died a death on the cross. He died a death on the cross. He did not deserve that. Why did he do that? He did that for you and me. He took our sin upon himself, dying on the cross for us, receiving the full wrath of his Father. He died and he was buried, and yet the greatest miracle that ever happened happened three days later. Jesus Christ rose again, proving that he's victorious over sin, Satan, death, and the grave. He rose victorious. And what that means is this, is that anybody who trusts and believes in him can have eternal life, and he empowers us to live a new life in the power of the Holy Spirit. He makes everything new. Even now, you have a new perspective. This is why I love the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, he said this line in one of his, in one of his uh, letters. He said, all I know is Christ and him crucified. You know what he meant by that? He didn't mean that, hey, now I know the gospel and I somehow forgot absolutely everything else. I forgot two plus two equals four. I forgot my mama's name. I forgot all of that. He didn't mean, he didn't mean literally that, that all he knew was Christ and him crucified. What he was saying is this, that on a foundational level, Christ and him crucified was the truth that he's built everything on. 
He's saying, how I view the world is filtered through that foundational truth. That's how we see the world. So your question to all of this may be this, and, and, and we'll shut it down soon. Eric, listen, we live in culture. We can't get away from culture. You're saying that there's some aspects of culture that are harmful. How do we know what we should accept and what we should reject? How do we obey Jesus when he says, beware? How do we do this practically? Well, let me give this to you. To live faithful in this culture, we must sift the culture through the filter of the gospel. How do we do that practically? Here are a couple of themes. Ben, come back up. Here's the first thing I'm gonna give you. In order for us to actually have a filter for the culture so we can beware of the leaven, this is what we do. We have to know and believe what Jesus has done. Here's the thing, in order to filter the culture through the gospel, guys, we gotta know the gospel. Not just simply like Jesus Christ died for my sin, rose again on the third day, I trust to believe in him, I have eternal life. We need to know the implications of the gospel. What does that mean? And we don't know that unless we're in the word of God. Hear me today. This is so helpful because when we turn on the 24-hour the, the um, news cycle and all you see is strife and pain and you begin to start feeling symptoms of unbelief, you start to, be, start to feel hopelessness. In that moment, what do you need to remind yourself of? What Jesus has done. You gotta remember the gospel that greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. Hear me today, when you feel isolated and alone, when you're scrolling through social media and you feel like, man, everybody is having a better time than I am. I feel envious, I feel isolated, I feel alone. What's going on here? What do you need to do? You need to remember the work of Jesus Christ. You need to filter what you're feeling through the lens of Jesus' work at Calvary. You need to remind yourself that because of the gospel, he'll never leave you or forsake you. In order to filter everything through the lens of the gospel, we have to know and believe what Jesus has done for us. Here's the second thing. We also gotta be among people who remind us of what Jesus has done. Y'all, we, we can't do the Christian life by ourselves. Here's the thing, this sounds selfish, but I don't think it is. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. When I got good friends and they tell me, man, I ain't really been in the word of God for a while, I look back at them and I'm like, listen, bro, I need you in the word of God. If not for you, but for me. Right? I don't think that's selfish, right? And what I mean by that is this. There are times when I can't see in front of my face. There's times in which life is incredibly hard. There are times in which I can't remember what Jesus has said. And what a good friend is gonna do is remind me of that. They're gonna see when I'm veering off into places where I shouldn't be. They're gonna see when I've ingested kind of this leaven of our culture and I begin to exhibit the symptoms. When I start exhibiting symptoms of hopelessness, a friend is able to remind me that, hey, listen, Jesus is coming back soon. Have hope. When I start veering off and, 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 and imbibing our culture and valuing possessions too much, a good friend is going to remind me that, hey, listen, Eric, Christ is your great reward. He's the great treasure. We need people around us to remind us, to help us. This is why church matters. This is why relationships matter in the church. We need people to remind us. Here's another one. Last one, we need to moderate influences that will encourage you to forget what Jesus has done. Like carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide is helpful in, in, in doses. Carbon dioxide helps plants. It's harmless to us in doses, but we can't uncritically breathe that stuff in. 
And here's the thing. There are times in which maybe you need to disengage from some cultural influence for a period of time so that you can consider Jesus' words and work without distraction. There are times we might need to turn off the news, times in which you might need to shut down the social media, times in which you may need to get it away, even from people, so that you can clearly hear the words of God and meditate on what he's done for you. NBC Arlington, I'll say simply this morning, I'm praying for you here. I'm praying that we'll be a people who are in the culture, yet not of it. I pray that God would allow us to beware of the leaven that's there. Let's take a moment to pray together. Uh, Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank you that, that, that you have purchased us with your own blood. And because of that, you've given us a new lease on life. Thank you so much. You've given us a new perspective on life. You've allowed us to see the beauty of who you are. And you've even allowed us to see um, the harm that even is around us. I pray that you'll protect the people in this room. Father, I pray that we'll rely on you that we entrust ourselves to your word and your works. And I pray that you will create in this, um, it, it, even in this room, a new kind of community. I pray that you'll create a community that points people to you, that demonstrates to the watching world what you are like so they might glorify you and praise you with all that they have. Father, we trust you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen, amen. amen.